tuning in to the 213th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. I'm going to have a great show for all y'all today. Uh, last podcast, the Monday podcast, we had a uh, rerun of a podcast I did with Ben Karen, host of the Sports Quabbler podcast, and it was the 20 for 20 for college football. So for this podcast, we're going to have Kenny Sim on, scouting expert for 247 Sports. We usually have Kenny on on Monday, but because of some uh, conflicts, we're going to have Kenny on for the show today for the Wednesday episode. So we're going to hit all the games that happened Sunday in the NFL. We're also going to hit Monday night as well. So we're going to have all that kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Kenny Sim, scouting expert for 247 Sports, with us. We usually have Kenny on on Mondays to recap everything that happened in the NFL. And we're going to have Kenny on on a Tuesday, on a, excuse me, for the Wednesday podcast. We're going to have uh, Kenny on for that, and we're going to talk about some of the Sunday games, and we're also going to get into the Monday night games, because uh, those are very interesting as well. Now, Kenny... First, where I want to start with you is because you're a Browns fan, right? And it was really interesting because I was really watching the game closely because I was back in Cleveland. So the Browns, they get throttled by the Steelers. Uh, and I think there's a lot of interesting takeaways, right? I, I I quoted it too. It's like the Steelers took the Browns' manhood that game. Uh, like it's a divisional round game, excuse me, a divisional game, right? Uh, a team that has been a scourge in the Browns' side for years and... If the Browns want to be a legit, serious contender, they're going to they're going to have to beat the Brown, uh, the Steelers, and they're going to have to beat the Ravens. And those are just things that they have not done this year. So I just want to get your take on the game. Yeah, obviously, just really disappointing from the Cleveland Browns front. And you take a look at take a look at the key parts key parts of any game, um, and you take a look at you know kind of what happened during that game. Lost the turnover battle two to nothing. Teams that win the turnover battle win seventy five percent of the time. Browns go one for twelve on third downs. Pittsburgh came in, giving up fifty percent on third down. That's been the one point of their defense a little hesitant, but they changed some things around. Uh, Browns go one for twelve on third down. Um, they don't run the ball like they have in the past, which is a critical game script. So Steelers came in, took away what the Browns did best. Uh, a paltry three-point yards a carry, um, and then you know Big Ben made plays down the field. Take a look at the, those 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 deep plays. Um, you know, going on ten-play drives, chances are at some point the offense will mess up. Trying to limit big plays. Pittsburgh had about three big plays in the passing game. Um, big emergence of Chase Claypool the last two weeks. 
So you got that. Um, Pittsburgh quickly came out of the gate. Quick 17 nothing spot. Really hard to come back from 17 down on the road against the top defense. Um, so I think it was a, you know, all those elements led to the 38-7 to result. And then I think Pittsburgh really solidified their status as a team that could make serious noise in the playoffs. Talk about how the, you know, who's going to slow down the Ravens offense? Who's going to slow down the Chiefs? Steelers have that defense. Um, Steelers have that defense, and they have, you know, guys in the passing game and running the football that could keep up and score with them and dictate the game on their terms, too. So, um, big win for the Steelers there. It was a game for the Cleveland Browns that it could make the Cleveland Browns, but it would not break the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, you take a look, try to get over this loss, but they're still 4-2. and two. Um, And then, you know, 4-2 and two and knowing that they still need continuous improvement too. Uh, but that's a game that really could have set the Browns in first place in the AFC North. And for the time being, uh, Pittsburgh really made it known that um, I think right now you would have to say the division goes to the Steelers, even over the Ravens. For the Browns, uh, it, it was actually crazy, right? It's it's almost like when the little brother finally thinks they're ready to take on their big brother, right? And the, and the big brother's like, no, no. Sorry, Joe. Like, like maybe in 10 more years. Maybe in 10 more years, right? You'll be on my level. It was kind of like, it, it was almost like that. They just, they looked outclassed. And uh, maybe it's because, right, the Browns, they the wins they've accumulated so far haven't been against necessarily the stellar teams in the NFL, right? Teams that come to mind right off the top of my head are the Bengals, right, the Cowboys, the Redskins. But the two times they played two of the elite teams in the NFL, they got their domes rocked. Is that concerning to you at all, Kenny? Uh, for that, uh, so, I mean, you know, they did really... You know, you know, we talked about a few uh, uh, last week. Um, at the time, and they still are one of the top defenses. The Colts, they 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 did get past the Colts, but but to win the division, and you know, you got to beat those two teams. So I wouldn't say I'm concerned. I'm a little antsy though um, that it's been it's been two games, and don't want to make a big deal out of two regular season games. But I mean, it was 38 to six, 38 to seven, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. So I mean, there's been games in the past in the, um, with the division where you know the Browns clearly outmanned, but the game's been somewhat close at least through halftime in the third quarter. Um, but this year, the game, both of the games have been over by halftime. So I wouldn't say concern. I'd say antsy, though. And it's shaping up for the Browns to be a big December because they got Baltimore and Pittsburgh in December, um, two of the last four games. So that's going to be a checkpoint game to make the proper adjustments and, you know, keep the games close, if not win, because um, I would I would think to go where they want to go. They're, I mean, they really can't go 0-4 against the Steelers and Ravens, so a little antsy, and we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks to get our answers to those. Now, here's another story. So Baker Mayfield's benched during the game. Uh, Case Keenum comes in. 
Um, now you can argue the offensive line's not protecting Baker. They're getting blown out. There's no point of keeping him in the game. Uh, you, you could say maybe that they just need a spark. Why do you think he was exactly benched? And how do you think this will affect Baker going forward and the dynamic with him and Case Keenum? Really similar to Jimmy Garoppolo last week. There's a combination of one being banged up. It wasn't as banged up as Jimmy, as Jimmy Garoppolo, but Baker Mayfield didn't throw Wednesday and Thursday during the team portions of the drills. He, he, he was limited. So it was a combination of one being banged up with the ribs, two, um, stopping him from getting completely exposed to further punishment with the Steelers, pinning their ears back, um, a combination of that when the game was clearly out of hand. And like we talked about, um, you know, 30-7 to 7 or 31-7 to 7 at the end of the third quarter, the game's clearly out of hand. combination of all of those. So I think that was really um, – it was it was that reason, more so performance-based. Um, and so Kevin Stefanski quickly – watched any any type of you know slithering in QB controversy so I think that's kind of the basis of that um, so it was it was eerily similar to the 49ers last week combination of health game script and you know wasn't playing well to finish out the game. Now, when we talk about the Steelers, and I want to go back to the Steelers for a second. You kind of mentioned this. Like, this is one of the elite teams in the NFL. They have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, James Conner's a pretty good uh, running back. They have Juju Smith-Schuster. They have uh, Claypool, who's a monster. They have a great defense, and they have one of the best coaches in the NFL, Mike Tomlin. Are the Steelers the best team in the NFL, Kenny? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say best team because... I mean, it's just uh, coming into the week. You know, I had I had Packers one, Seattle two. Uh, Packers lost. Talk about that, but but Seattle did nothing to warrant moving down at all. So oof, Seattle up to number one. But but I think you can make a case the Steelers are the top team in the AFC. Um, just because that uh, I mean I, I mean that that defense I wouldn't say it could contain I mean I, I mean I think they could have their way with you know with with uh, you take a look at the Chiefs they could do the same things and they got the personnel to do the same things as as um uh, what uh, as as the Patriots did against the uh, Chiefs um, and they could stop the run they are going to dial it up on you um, you know top all through the categories in any type of blitz rate, pressure rate, QB hit, they played one less game. And offensively, you know, they could score against average to subpar defenses against, you know, any type of contender team. And and, and really what I think is, is a big part that's coming on the last few weeks is Chase Claypool. And Chase Claypool, um, similar aspect to what DK Metcalf did as a rookie. 6'4", 230, runs extremely fast, deep ball threat. That that deep ball threat, um, they they didn't have that on offense. Juju's not a deep ball threat. Um, so, so getting that threat 
with the run game and with how good Big Ben is now. I think it's I think it's eleven touchdowns, one pitch. He's got seventy percent completions. Um, with that, I, I think you can make a case that they're among among definitely the top teams in the NFL, and I think they're right there. I mean, I mean they got to be right there, one one B with whoever you put in as the top team in in the AFC. Um, I think they're definitely one of the solid top two teams in the AFC with whoever else you want to put up there. I'd agree with uh, that too, Kenny. Now I want to go to the Sunday night game. So we have the Rams versus the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo had a bounce back game, played much better, and we see the 49ers beat the Rams, who have been the Rams have been pretty good this year. So I just want to know your overall takeaway from the game. So, San Francisco, that definitely was, was the first thing. San Francisco bouncing back. Um, bouncing back, good QB play. They didn't run the ball particularly well, but, but Jimmy Garoppolo was on his game. I mean, 268 and three scores. Um, so, so, you like to see that um, for Garoppolo in the offense. And defense still still not, I mean, just, just with kind of like the loss in personnel and injuries. Not the defense last year that they've had, but, you know, they got back to what they do of winning the time of possession, um, getting getting that obvious mismatch, which is George Kittle, you know, in space. I like to play the seal of the game at the end, running a little jet jet sweep with Garoppolo just tossing the ball forward. That's technically a completed pass, but, but getting jet sweeps to Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel's back now, and that's definitely – definitely a, uh, a, a mismatch that they want to exploit along with Kittle is getting the ball in creative ways to Debo Samuel. So, all in all, um, that was my takeaway was healthy Garoppolo got Samuel back, got back to their way. Um, you know, ran the, ran the ball well, golf up and down, but it was enough for the 49ers to win and they got the message this week because they came out early and they got out to a quick spot early and that's definitely where every team wants to play from is playing from ahead uh 20 to 6 at halftime and then they're able to kind of run the ball and squeeze out possessions so it's it's a team that i mean this was a big win because you know the 49ers weren't favored and you know, you're still looking at their team around eight, nine wins. It's going to be right there for them to make the playoffs or not. So, you know, take care of the games that that you should win. But you know, they beat the Rams. They're going to have Seattle twice. It's going to be those games that are either going to kind of determine whether they make the playoffs or not. So this was a big win to get it against a team that they were looking up in in the standings. So it's really interesting when you look at that game, right? You see Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan coaching against each other. Two of, I think, the bright young offensive minds in the NFL and the bright young head coaching minds in the NFL. Both have been to Super Bowls at a relatively uh, young age as head coaches, uh, taking over franchises that before they got there maybe uh, may have not been in the best of shape and have kind of built them into uh, league contenders and for sure league playoff contenders. So I just want to know, how big do you think, and just, just talk about the importance of the Bill Walsh coaching tree, because both these guys, they come from that. When you look at the tree and you go all the way down from Holmgren, from uh, Mike Holmgren and all that. So just talk about the 
the Bill Walsh coaching tree? Because I think when a lot of people think of Bill Walsh, they think of the West Coast offense. But can you just dive a little bit deeper into that, Kenny? Yeah. So with with uh, so so with the Bill Walsh coaching tree, um, an offshoot of that was with Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs and that outside zone um, outside zone offense and it, 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 it's been a wonder to team. It elevates QB play um, it turns good offensive linemen into great offensive linemen. It gets guys that drill Davis into the Hall of Fame um, and so an offshoot of Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak has been uh, Kyle Shanahan has been uh, like I said, in, in, in a younger note, Kubiak, McVeigh, uh, Matt Lafleur, and and you're seeing this offense more and more. And you take a look at the bad teams in the NFL and what direction they they would want to go. I would advise bringing in a strong leader that would run this system for for teams to get them on track. And you know, from an offensive standpoint, what it does is it gets it get it. it it makes the run and pass look really similar. When you read those lineman keys, it's hard to get a grasp because it looks so much from snapping the ball for that first half second, you don't know if it's a run or a pass. And that that you know, that gets you to the edge quicker because linebackers and safeties are watching. Um, any type of hesitation can open up things behind the linebackers in those deep passing games as well, which you see. Um, and, and it's supposed to be an offense that, that elevates the QB play. So right around 65%, two-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio. Not an offense that's going to throw for 350 yards, but it's going to be an efficient offense that, that makes big plays, moves down the field, and then wins time of possession running the football. That's a recipe that is going to win time and time again. Um, and, and, and you got two great young coaches like McVay and Shanahan and they kind of add their own wrinkles in. Uh, talking with, uh, talking during the telecast with, Ty, with uh, Chris Collinsworth, they say, I mean, they like to talk and share some ideas, but they don't want to get too deep into it because both McVeigh and Shanahan are going to compete for a very long time in this division, going at it every year. But, but both of them are really skilled coaches schematically, and they kind of add their own wrinkles in throughout. But, um, it's just an offense that under center offense and having multiple tight ends, which both these teams have, it's also something that it's, it's, it's not the norm in the NFL. And I think eventually we could see a little bit of a correction back to multiple tight ends in the NFL and getting in run based for, for formations and throwing the football, um, high percentage passes to tight ends. So I think you are starting to see that more and more like, Tennessee, Cleveland doing it. I would expect um, some teams looking for coaches might might pin off that tree, but um, it, it's further enhanced by having really good offensive minds to add to that, like McVay and Kyle. Who do you think's the better coach? Uh, I think McVay. I like McVay a little bit more. I like McVay a little bit more. Um, he took more more um, more say in the full coaching staff this year, and and um, having Wade Phillips retire, he he got more and more um, say and insight into what goes on defensively, and I think he successfully plucked 
a really good young coach and Brandon Staley to be the defensive coordinator of that team now. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that pushes them over the top a little bit. Um, both, both have all, uh, the three times all of them have been in the Super Bowl, they've all struggled, but, um, I like McVay a little bit more with being a little bit more, you know, versatile on both sides of the ball, especially this year you're seeing he's doing more defensively too. Now I want to go to the Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. We have the undefeated Packers, uh, Rodgers versus Brady. Rodgers is playing at a MVP level. And we see the Buccaneers blow them out, and we see Rodgers uncharacteristically, particularly because of this year and how good he's been, throw zero touchdowns and have two picks. I, I just want to know, how do you think Tampa was able to stifle Aaron Rodgers, who's been playing at a MVP level this whole year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of the things that makes this team so interesting is, um, one is if, Tampa was going to be able to stop the run, stop that outside zone scheme that we just talked about. And um, for my money, I've always thought, as a coordinator, I, I, I've always really thought Todd Bowles is the best, best in football at what he does. And they were able to corral the run game a little bit. But really what this game I thought would come, come down to is you got these young corners that continue to get better on Tampa, like like Carlton Davis or Whitehead and uh, Sean Bunting Scantling and and how Green Bay could get guys open other than Devontae Adams. And it was gonna have to be Valdez Scantling, Robert Tanyan, um, uh, the other guy they got too at at, at receiver, uh, he was out but Lazard, but but can can those guys get open and make plays other than Devontae Adams because Teams are going to find ways to either double-team or somewhat corral Devontae Adams. You're not going to completely stop him, but you got to be able to contain him. And and Tampa won that matchup. Tampa won that matchup, and then they, they, they took advantage of a couple of bad passes on Rodgers, a couple of late outs that got returned for touchdowns. Um, and, and that, I mean, we talked about the Steelers front, but that's a front that had five sacks, 13 QB hits. They got two. Um, they just traded for another another body from the Jets, Shane, Shane, Shane McClendon, that they can plug in for Vita Bay, who's out. Um, you got Pierre Paul and Griffin on the outside. The linebackers are really fast, really fast. Uh, Lamonte David and Devin White just taking the draft two years ago. Um, that's a really strong front, and, and that front has given a lot of teams problems running the ball, and they get after the passer that way. And then they got DBs that get their hands on the ball, like Carlton Davis, four pass breakups. Um, that's been a staple of Todd Bowles' defense in the past. So this has been, you know, I would say the one unit that when you look at, you know, the final outcome of the season, maybe an out, uh, maybe a unit that isn't heralded a lot is we want to know how does Tampa do? How does Tom Brady do? I think the defensive unit, Tampa Bay defense is going to have a huge say in where that ends up, on where their playoff trip ends in some way. Maybe it ends with the Super Bowl, but but where that ends. And, you know, 
it was it, it, it was very impressive for the Bucks to do that this week. Now I want to go to this with Rob Gronkowski. So. O.J. Howard, we know he's going to be out for the rest of the year. And uh, I, I feel like Gronk started out slow, and he's steadily kind of been getting up to speed uh, for the game. He had uh, five receptions, 78 yards, one touchdown. I, I just want to know, what do you see from Gronk? Because I know he's not what he once was. He's not a Kittle. He's not a Kelsey. But where do you think he falls in the tight end hierarchy in the NFL? And, and do you kind of see that he's building up to? Yeah, I mean, I put him behind, like, I mean, I put him behind like the like like the I think you call like a big four Kelsey Kale Waller and Mark Andrews um because and 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 really you know I put him in that I put him in that next lot like the five to ten grouping but with Robert Kowski is you don't always see it but for patches and spurs in a game you'll see the flashes of brilliance that he's done. Uh, it's just that he doesn't have the flashes of brilliance, 60 plays a game that he does in New England. He maybe could do it for 15 to 25 plays. But um, that along with not being able to run like he used to, but red zone threat, you know, get him out one-on-ones on the goal line still. He could still box people out, you know, get that rebound as a power forward type and make those plays. But to your point, he has been playing better. He did start off a little slow. He has been playing a little bit better, knocking the rust off of retirement. And and I think he'd be one of the one of the trusted sources to go through and got to have a situation along with Chris Godwin once once he gets up and running and healthy and Mike Evans. Those three, they still haven't, you know, one played together and two all been healthy. But once those three get up and running and Maybe maybe now it's going to start to happen. Now, you know that's 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 going to be a tough a tough three person combo to stop with Brady. Now I also want to talk about this when we talk about the front seven and and the front seven. It doesn't get talked about as much, right? Because you know we know people know Bruce Arians. Uh, obviously, Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time. There's Mike Evans. Uh, there's Chris Godwin. Obviously, there's Rob Gronkowski. There's a Hall of Famer, right? Like. People don't talk about guys like Levante Davis and Devin White enough. And I just want to read this out for you, Kenny. So, they both combined for 18 tackles and five tackles for loss. Uh, They're both three-down linebackers. They can play the run and the pass. They fly everywhere. Is this the best linebacking duo in the NFL? Yeah, I would say so. You know, I would say so. I think. I think both well, well, both are in their prime. Which the other group that I'm thinking of is, is Seattle, and KJ Wright is not in his prime anymore. But Wagner's still playing at a high level. But but yes, I mean I would say the Bucks linebacker group, especially that two person group um, that they play a lot of two two linebackers sub packages. Uh, White and David, I would say, are the best in the NFL. They could cover sideline to sideline, make plays behind the line of scrimmage. But the NFL becoming so much of a space game. And just having, you know, having five guys deployed differently to go out for passes and try to make that mismatch. Um, both White and David are, are quick enough, athletic enough to neutralize and win those matchups against, you know, against backs in the middle of the field, like a Kamara, like a Kittle that they're probably going to have to play. Uh, the Rams, you know, 
get you sideline to sideline as well. But they they can match up um, as good as any linebacker group in the NFL to do stuff like that. Now next, I want to go to the Tennessee Titans versus the Houston Texans. Uh, And this is really interesting because there's so much that I sacked. And we talked about this, Kenny, a little bit off the air. And and when I asked you, Kenny, I point blank asked you, who's the best quarterback in the NFL? You mentioned guys like Russell Wilson, right? Aaron Rodgers, guys have been playing really well. And then a name you mentioned was Ryan Tannehill. Now, Kenny, if you ever said that Ryan Tannehill is a top five quarterback in the NFL, or if you compared him to guys like Russell Wilson or said he's better than Brady or Breeze, people would say you're crazy. And this isn't totally crazy now. Uh, He's done ever since. They benched Marcus Mariota last year, and they put Tannehill in. Tannehill has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I would say he's been a top 10 quarterback in the league since he's been in Tennessee, since he has started in Tennessee. And now this year, you can make an argument he's around the top five. Where do you attribute this development? I attribute the development to offensive coordinator Arthur Arthur Smith, who's running that Kubiak-Shanahan offense. And um, about 17 starts, including the playoffs last year, so over, you know, a little bit over one full season. Look what Tannehill has done. Tannehill has thrown for 40 touchdowns and eight interceptions only. That is extremely similar to what Lamar Jackson done in his MVP season. He's complete. He, he's not just thinking and dunking. He's pushing the ball down the field. His yard per attempt, one of the best. He actually in the rec, in last year's regular season when when he, when he took over, yes, he had less games. He had the highest passer rating in the NFL, not Patrick Mahomes. And continuing it this year, um, you know, thirteen touchdowns, one 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 pick. It goes back to that forty to eight. I said um, he's 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 really playing within himself. He's he's. He's making plays on the run, bootlegs, quarter rolls, making plays in the pocket, good against the blitz, and and it's dangerous because he's doing that with Arthur Smith, and, and, and he gets a lot of the credit for turning around Ryan Tannehill, but they're still a run-first team, and you got Derrick Henry in the backfield still that, that defenses are going to have to key on because you know, it's just so demoralizing in this game for the Texans to have a team run on you for 263 yards and Henry to do that. So I would think teams will continue to try to find ways to stop the run, getting that extra guy in the box possibly. And Tannehill's still going to have favorable matches on the outside. And that makes them really hard to defend. And, and they didn't ask Tannehill to do a lot in the playoffs last year and the especially in the first two rounds where he threw the ball about like 16 times in two games. But but now they're still having that run game and Tannehill continues to pick up where he left off on. He's playing at an MVP level. He, he's definitely, I mean, if we're going to talk about Josh Allen and Mahomes and Wilson and Rodgers, you know, a guy just because he's not as, not, not as popular or, or thought of to be as good, from the name point, but but Tannehill is right up there with them. So it's it's been a it's been it's been good to see that for him. And the Titans are a team that knows 
exactly who they are and what brand of football they want to play with. And they, they continue to do that week in and week out. And they're definitely um, they're, they're among one of the best teams in the AFC. I think they're probably third in the AFC behind Kansas City and uh, Pittsburgh. Now for me, Kenny, uh, we talked about Joe Brady, um, offensive coordinator for the Panthers, uh, former offensive coordinator for LSU, uh, in terms of him being an NFL head coach. When you talk about Arthur Smith, and that leads into something I did want to ask you, right? Arthur Smith, the development we've seen with Ryan Tannehill, that's amazing. To me, that is amazing. Ryan Tannehill was always a guy that I think we believed had traits. But for him to play at this level, I think that says something about the OC. I think even when you look at guys like Derrick Henry and just the commitment and the way they play, they never get too far ahead of themselves. Their commitment to the run is amazing, right? Like, it doesn't matter whether Derrick Henry runs for 57 yards or 200 yards, they're going to run it. Like, I just think stuff like that is important when you're looking uh, as an at an offensive mind just to, uh, fundamentally. So I just want to ask you, what are the chances we could hear stuff about Arthur Smith being a coach? Yeah, you definitely should. Um, you definitely should. It's a little bit early to talk about um, top candidates, but but Arthur Smith needs to be up there. He needs to be up there with um, Josh McDaniels and I think Brian Dable getting some love early on uh, to be head coaches. But Arthur Smith needs to be in that in in that discussion, um, kind of seeing how good the Titans' offense is. You know, Doug. Definitely not separate. No, he's probably up there for Associated Press Assistant Coach of the Year. Um, but but he's going to run that offense that we talked about is so dangerous and has been working in the NFL. Um, so he'll definitely be getting some calls for head coach. Um, as you know, calling plays is totally different, and I would say – it has no correlation to how you are in the head coach. So, so we're going to see, I mean, you know, it's going to depend on how good of a leader is commanding the room and building a coaching staff, um, looking down the road to see how, see if Arthur Smith is going to have success as a head coach. But, but from right now in the job he's asked to do, he's doing it extremely well and he will be getting calls for interviews coming up at the end of the year. Now, next I want to go to this. When we look at the Titans, and you mentioned uh, you'd have them third ahead of the Chiefs and the Steelers. But here's what I would ask you. Why not have them ahead of the Chiefs? Like, And I realize that uh, right, the Chiefs did beat them last year, but to this point, I mean, the Tennessee Titans, they beat up Buffalo, a Buffalo team that was playing very well. They just seemed tough, hard-nosed, and they know how to win the games. Just what's your thinking there in terms of why you have Kansas City still ahead of Tennessee? Yeah, so so they don't play each other. I, I I wish they would, but they don't play 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 each other. So so they they won't go head head to head. But I got some because um, Kansas City. I mean, they're I, I mean until beaten in the playoffs. I mean, they're still going to be favored to get out of the AFC. Um, and and it, it's it's. It's hard for Kansas City to get up for every single team because that's the other team's Super Bowl every single week. And I just don't think, you know, Kansas City could get up for 16 games like a playoff game like the other team would. So I think that's kind of where you see um, where that blip happened against the Raiders. But I think 
and they they showed it against the Ravens. They showed it against the Bills. Um, when when they really really lock in and they really focus and do that, um, it's it's just hard. It's just hard to beat them. And and you know they were fully controlling that Bills game, fully controlling the Ravens game. So I think that's kind of where they're at with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so that's kind of why I have them ahead of the Titans. But I think the Titans definitely possess some things that can make it difficult for the Chiefs to beat them and make it a close game, though. It's just going to be it's just going to be tight to the end. Um, so, so one of the things that the Titans can do, the Titans can run the ball, keep Mahomes on the sideline, and then the Titans, you know, run a defense where they could give different looks to Mahomes, try to make him think, and drop seven to eight people into coverage and just see if Mahomes is going to take the check down and be patient. And I think that's the best way to defend Mahomes. That's the best that you could do. And the Titans, you know, have that style of defense to do that. So, you know, those two things kind of keep the Titans within striking distance to definitely be able to beat the Chiefs in a one-game scenario. Now, we're going to take a break, and then kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to delve into more NFL talk. We're going to hit on the Monday night games. We have the Cowboys getting blown out. We have the Chiefs kind of asserting their dominance on my Buffalo Bills. So we're going to get to all that kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Sports Talk, and we still have Kenny Sim with us, scouting expert for 247 Sports. So here's the deal, Kenny. Here's what I got for you. So the Patriots lay an unpatriot-like egg, uh, I believe losing 18-12 to the woeful Denver Broncos, and Drew Locke uh, making his first start in a while after coming back from an injury. So I just want to know, what would be your panic concern for the Patriots, right? They're now 2-3. and three. Uh, this is a team we thought in the beginning of the first quarter of the year that they, they could do some things. They've been stifled a little bit with COVID, having guys like Cam and Gilmore get it at possibly the wrong time, definitely the wrong time. And uh, now they lose a the game they shouldn't lose. They're 2-3. The Bills are leading the division. What do you think should be the panic meter for the New England Patriots? I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think they would be a moderate, a moderate level. Of panic, I mean, they could still, they could still make the playoffs, even win the division still. But um, the thing with the Patriots is, I, I, I think we saw in their first game of the year, they really came out strong. They ran Cam Newton 25 times, and long term over the course of the year, they're not going to be able to run their quarterback 20, 25 times and take those hits. And 
they have got, especially against a, especially against a, an, an experienced defense that's solid like Denver, is it's going to be hard to, you know, get guys open, like a Harry and a Demetrius Bird in the back against that defense, um, and, and, and just just make Cam Newton think a little bit. Just, just have him just have that hesitation in the pocket. So, um, they're still talented enough, you know, to uh, keep things close defensively, you know, within the 20s. I mean, the defense played well. They gave them six field goals only, kept them out of the end zone. Um, but it, it's going to be just, it's going to be just a lot of close games with, with, with the Patriots down the stretch. And, you know, the thing about the panic mode, they don't have Brady. They can't, you know, with four men, with, with, you know, they've got to have in situations when they've got to move right down the field. Um, if there's enough plays, you know, I just don't think they got the playmakers on the outside to really come through in those situations. So I'd have it at a moderate point. Um, and then they're a game out of the playoffs right now, but they're still capable of making the playoffs, obviously. But um, they do have a difficult schedule down the stretch with that first place schedule. So they got the NFC West still. Um, they got the Ravens still. So, you know, it's still, I still think eight and eight, nine, nine and seven. So they're going to be right there for the playoffs, but um, definitely not be able to walk right through like they had in years past in which maybe, you know, we thought they'd have like a sure-in to make the wild card. I don't think it's a sure-in right now for them, so moderate level of concern. Do you think that, so Cam didn't play well. Uh, two picks, uh, no touchdown passes. Before people were talking about maybe Cam's going to get a contract extension with the Patriots, right? Maybe he is the heir apparent. Maybe he'll be in New England for years to come. And now Cam comes a little bit down to earth. What do you think New England might be with the Cam Newton experiment? How would you assess how it's gone so far? I think overall, I mean, overall, I think they've gotten, you know, maybe more out of him than they than they've uh, than they thought they might have. Uh, he's, he's shown the ability uh, to make plays. Um, Specifically in the first few games of the year. Now, the, I mean, they've had, you know, a week and a half, several games out with COVID. kind of threw them off a little bit. So once he starts getting back on track, um, you know, I think Cam will be able to put together a strong game. He had a strong game run, running the football. Um, so I still think both sides were in wait-and-see mode, you know, whether you want to have Cam um, – you know, you want to sign Cam for next year. I think it's still wait and see mode for both sides, the Patriots and Cam Newton. Do you think Cam, excuse me, do you think the Patriots are missing Tom Brady right now? Because Tom Brady, I think to this point, I think you'd say Tom Brady has outplayed Cam Newton, correct, Kenny? Yeah. Do you, do you think of any part of Belichick is like, man, if only we had Tom here right now? I mean, I think both guys wanted to kind of move on. Uh, definitely, I think Tom Brady wanted to move on um, over the Patriots. I think the Patriots would have, would have taken him back. I mean, we talked about that, but I, it's um, possibly. But Cam does do – I mean, Cam, Cam does different things, though, than Tom Brady that you could win with. So that, that element of mobility, that element QB in the run game, in certain parts, 
you know, 10 carries is a good number for him, but not like 20. Um, and, you know, have, have having that element, I think, more, more, more so like mobility-wise, that, you know, a very, a very talented staff like the Patriots could put Cam in those spots to be successful. So I wouldn't say they would have buyer's remorse over Tom Brady. Um, it's just kind of molding the offense to what Cam does best. And, um, again, I think I think missing, you know, a week and a half and, and Cam had COVID too, I think that threw them out because, you know, not having an offseason, new, new quarterback in the situation, they need those practice reps and they need those live reps. Um, so I would expect the Patriots to kind of get back more on track defensively or, or more, more on track offensively. And, you know, they got the ability to do that the next few games. San Francisco, Buffalo, Jets, Ravens. Now next where I want to go is uh, Drew Locke. You know, a little mixed bag of results for the game. Uh, did lead them to a win. Where are you personally in the Drew Locke experiment with Denver? I mean, I think they want. I think I think we want to see a little bit more um, in terms of start. So what he he had so 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 he had five starts last year, and he got knocked out the second game of the year. So this was his seventh seventh start only. So it's it's really young. So so you, I mean, you want to see him finish out the year to kind of get a better gauge on him. But it's um, just for seven starts, just no one knows. But I wasn't really as high on him. And, um, you know, being in that ideal spot, they lost Cortland Sutton, Melvin Gordon, um, with DUI. Don't know what's going to happen if the player or not. Philip Lindsay just coming back. Uh, point, point being is he'd be pretty good with all of the uh, the full repertoire of weapons around him, and he doesn't have that right now. So maybe that's a good test to see you know, where his ceiling is, but um, you definitely got to see more just with seven starts, but my guess is um, Drew Locke, you know, I think you might want to be one of those teams to look at a veteran QB or look at the QB market right now early on, and I think, you know, where, where this goes, but we'll have to see. So Bills, Chiefs. Kenny, the Bills aren't there yet, my guy. And it was sad. I thought I thought Kansas City, Kansas City controlled the game. The game was fairly close for a while. The, the Chiefs kind of pulled away. Uh, there were times where you see a Travis Kelsey fumble. The Bills have a chance to get a field goal kick, uh, and they miss it, right? You, to beat Kansas City, you can't leave points on the board, right? You have to play perfect to beat this team and hope that they're not on their A game. Because when Kansas City's on their A game, there is no beating them. Like, they are unbeatable. So I just want to know where you are in terms of, were the Bills more of a contender or a pretender? Because when we see them possibly playing the top two teams in the AFC, they have lost. And you can make an argument they've been dominated, right? So are the Bills more of a pretender or a contender? I'm still going to say contender. Um, you know, definitely, I mean, losing the Titans and the Chiefs, that, um, you know, I don't think they're in that tier, but I, I, I think the Bills are a contender. 
and um, having just to kind of continue uh, thinking of ways to get Josh Allen successful. So, so the Chiefs gave him different looks. They gave him some pressure looks, um, gave him different looks post snap to pre snap. Um, kind of led to like a you know a fourteen for twenty seven, one hundred twenty two yard game. But Josh Allen has shown the ability. I mean, the first few games of the year where he could throw the ball on you and run the ball too, and you know getting back. Um, Running the ball better with 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 tailbacks would help the Bills too, with Singletary and Moss. Um, but you know, I think with that and scoring points, and I think the defense is going to continue to improve as the season goes on. Um, you know, I like their personnel. I like McDermott and Leslie Frazier a lot. I think they're going to be able to, you know, maybe not get to that 2019 level when they gave up like 15 points or a number two, but you know, get to a level where uh, you make it hard on the opposition, you take away the football, and you let Josh Allen win games and get in that 30-point mark. So I'm still going to say a contender. I, I, I still like the Bills. Um, yeah, they they haven't looked good the last two games. But um, coming into the season and watching the first four, they have looked like a team that could make noise and go to the AFC Championship, and, and, and I still think they could do that too. Now with the Chiefs. And also, I, I do want to say this too, because I, I want to know what you saw from the game, Kenny. Because what I noticed, the Bills gave up, I think by halftime, they were almost over 100 yards rushing. They For sure, the Chiefs had over 200 yards rushing in the game, which is something you don't expect, right? Because we think of Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, right? All the dynamic playmakers they have through the air. But they gashed the Bills. And I think part of that is, you play everybody back, and you sell out to protect the pass, and you give up the run. And when the Chiefs are able to run the ball like that, it's just kind of like, you can't stop that offense. It's going to be a little bit slower. It's not going to be as explosive. It's going to have to be a little bit more methodical for the Chiefs, but they're still going to score. So I, I just want to know if you kind of saw the same things there. Yeah, and, and they, I mean... They had the first game of the year with uh, the Texans, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire running wild on the Texans, but they haven't got that consistent production from him in the running game, I think. Um, kind of, I mean, just, just you, 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 you kind of expect a little bit more, you know, not running the ball efficiently, running the ball, you know, 78 yards only. But, but this was a game that, that – got that Chiefs running attack back and you know they don't have their center Austin Ryder right now they lost their one right guard who opted out so getting back to that was an encouraging sign for the Chiefs to see that they could run the ball and they don't need to run it excellent with Mahomes um, clearly but they have to be able to run the ball to close out games get first down keep the clock moving and to keep the defenses honest that if you've got to if you're going to throw out five and six defensive backs against Mahomes and get in a get in a lighter box look, a lighter defense look, then the Chiefs are going to have to run the ball successfully and, and keep you honest and really put you in a bind. And that was one thing the Chiefs did really good last year. And getting to that today, or, or getting to that last night when they ran it for 245 in the Bills, 
Um, that's something that she definitely wanted. And I think they're going to work Le'Veon Bell in, but Edwards Hilaire, I think, is still going to be the lead back, the feature back. But they're going to work him and Le'Veon Bell in. And all they need is for those two guys just to keep defenses honest. Now, in terms of the Le'Veon Bell signing, I just want to know how much you think that's going to help the Chiefs. How much? How much do you think it's going to help the Chiefs in terms of their offense? Yeah, I don't think it's going to help them a lot. Um, Le'Veon Bell has had a three-year decline the last four years. The other one just not playing. Um, but but he's 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 had a drop off over the last four years. So this is not Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers. Um, so I I think. What he does is good in pass protection. He could catch the ball out of the backfield as a second guy, which that's not really um, Daryl Williams and, and, and uh, Daryl Williams' game and Darwin Thompson. So it gives them a second back that they could have to catch the ball, pass protect with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So I think that's going to be his biggest focus. Um, you know. Just because they have so many weapons on the outside, he's probably going to run the ball at a decent amount. I mean, not like a three, a three point three average like he did with the Jets, but Clyde Edwards-Helaire and Le'Veon Bell should should increase this running game for the Chiefs. But I still think this is Edwards-Helaire's backfield. But you're going to see just having now two guys and always having a running back to flow through the pool that you could have catch the ball out of the backfield which it was really only Edwards Hilaire right now for the Chiefs, and I think now you have two guys that could do that, and one of those two guys are always going to be on the field. So I think that's where his value comes in, is the running back passing game. Now I want to go to uh, the Cardinals-Cowboys. The Cowboys get blown out. And I tweeted this. Kenny, you know what Jerry Jones should do? He should suck up his pride, get on one of his private jets because he's a billionaire, fly to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, sit down with Nick Saban. So you know what, Nick? I'll give you 20 mil a year. And yes, I said 20 mil. Double what any coach is getting. Double Nick Saban's salary, I believe. And trust me, Jerry Jones can pay for this. It's a coach, the Cowboys. Kenny, tell me why I'm crazy. Because I know it sounds insane, but tell me why I'm crazy. Uh, I think I think Nick Saban likes being the king of Alabama and running that whole show. Really, be, really running that whole show at Alabama, which he'll have to answer to Jerry Jones. But I think Nick Saban's really happy being the head coach and the king of Alabama right now. Um. I think the I, I I think one of the points that you're making though is um, how 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 do we you know through 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 coaching which through the first five games or through the first set Mike McCarthy has not been able to show us on defense but what do we need to do coaching wise to get this defense to at best an average level and try to get some pride and and win the division that way because this defense has been, this defense has been terrible. Uh, you know, 
not to make a joke like last week, but but Mike Nolan was a cocoon hire. Mike Nolan game has passed him by, and you know players are unhappy. They're leaking that out. They're unhappy. It's a mess defensively, and Daryl, they don't have Dak Prescott now, so they can't win these shootouts. And Andy Dalton in that offense is not going to be able to score consistently. I don't think they're going to win. Uh, I mean, they're not going to win games consistently if that first number in the offense is four. I think they got to score 40 points to win a lot of these games, and their defense is incapable of doing that right now, and it's really a tough spot defensively for the Cowboys, and it, it, it's putting them in a huge hole right now. Do you... Do you... Cause for, I guess my overall thing about this whole situation with the Cowboys is that they fired Jason Garrett so things would be different. They're worse with Mike McCarthy. Uh-huh. They're worse. What, what, should, what should Jerry Jones be thinking right now? Well, I think I think one thing you should be thinking is we didn't need to further strengthen a strength with C.D. Lamb in the first round and could have used that defensively. And two, I think he's thinking about how do we move some personnel around offensively? And I'm specifically looking at $20 million for Amari Cooper and Zeke Elliott. Do we need to make some personnel changes that way and have more money in the cap to allocate to defense? Because I don't see a lot of playmakers on defense either. And that entire back end of the secondary could be exposed. And I don't particularly think they have any really game changers on the front seven, minus possibly Demarcus Lawrence, which hasn't been having those like that 15 sack year like he did a few years ago. So I think that's what he's thinking right now. Who would you pick? Because if I'm crazy about Nick Saban, who would you pick to be the next Dallas Cowboys head coach? Within reason. Something that's more realistic, because obviously, you know. But, but then again, Kenny, if Jerry does it, Jerry does 20 mil, I don't think Nick's going to turn it down. But, but give yeah, me a I more think, realistic. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, they just had five years with Mike McCarthy, and I don't think they're going to be making a... I mean, I just don't see a head coaching change coming up this year or... Um, in the next few years. I, I, I just really don't see that right now. So do you think there's no chance? Uh, I, I mean... Well, because here's my thing, Kenny. J- J- Jason yeah, Garrett got that. fired. Jason yeah, yeah. Garrett got fired because of a failure. Jerry Jones is like, you know... You need to make it to the NFC Championship game. You need to make it to the Super Bowl. Listen, this Cowboys team isn't going to make the playoffs the way it's looking. And if they do, they're going to get embarrassed by whoever they play in the wild card round. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't see... I don't see Jerry Jones leaving after one... I, I, I don't see Jerry Jones admitting a mistake um, after one year with Mike McCarthy, but... I mean, I think the only personnel changes you can see make is maybe a, 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 you know, shuffle the defensive staff a little bit. I think that, I mean, I kind of think that's going to be what he wants. Um, And I I, I know, you know, Jerry Jones has been always one to kind of prefer to have kind of like a, like a, a head coach he can manage, like more of a yes man 
for lack of a better term. And I think Mike McCarthy does provide that a little bit. So I think, I mean, if you're looking at coaching changes to kind of improve this team, I think you could see maybe a lot of reshuffling on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's going to be the only thing to see right now with the Cowboys um, from a coaching standpoint. And, 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 and I'm surprised maybe, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, maybe we need to do something in season. And I want to say, I, 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 I want to say the last point on this, Daryl, is there is a really good, uh, a really good coordinator for Mike Zimmer named George Edwards. He was a defensive coordinator the last five years with the, with, with the Vikings. He's called some defense. Um, he was let go, and nobody signed him to be a defensive coordinator spot. And I think the Cowboys brought him in as an assistant coach or an analyst. You know, for a short-term fix, maybe you'll look at that with George Edwards. But um, right now, it, it, it does seem like with the Cowboys, is there's a lot of questions, and there's no there's no answer that you're going to get right now in season. If I a gun to your head today, Kenny, who wins the NFC East? Giants, Cowboys, Redskins, or Eagles? Yeah. So right now, I w- I would have to put the Eagles there. Um, best coach in the division. Team that's been there in tight spots in the division, like last year, they ultimately got it done over Dallas. And I think you're looking at a tight spot from here on out in the division. So I'm going to go with that. Um, only because the t- I, I, I mean the Cowboys defense is I mean it's it, as I said I mean it's abysmal. And at least the at least the Eagles defense could keep things close. You know, just 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 keep things close, and you know, occasionally get after the passer. So I'm going to put them in there too. Um, slightly, um, I think I, I think the Prescott injury really hurt the Cowboys to get in those shootouts. Um, first, your ability to do that that seems like the only way that they could win. And I'm looking at you know football team and the Giants, and I think those are those teams. I mean, the the only reason I think we're talking about them is because they're in the NFC East with even the Giants like a game and a half out. I think if they win. On Thursday night, they might be like a half a game or tied for the division lead, but it's just because of the NFC East. I think those teams are, you know, in in rebuild mode. So I'm going to say the Eagles right now, slightly. Should the Eagles implement Jalen Hurts more into their offense? Because I know he got a touchdown uh, Mm -hmm. during their game against the Ravens, and then people are kind of like, oh, Jalen Hurts needs to play more. Jalen Hurts needs to play more. How do you feel about that more and more Jalen Hurts uh, acclimating that to the Eagles offense? Because we see what Sean Payton does with a Taysom Hill. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a really good point you made, Daryl. That's something I hadn't thought of, but I I, I think they they should do that. Um, Carson Wentz leads the league in interceptions and turnovers, and I think mixing Jalen Hurts in with, with, with Taysom Hill like that role to give defenses some problems. At the very least, with what we've talked about before, at the very least is even if he plays, you know, five plays out of 60, whatever that percentage is, like 2% or whatever, 
defenses are going to have to spend more than 2% of their time in practice. How do we defend Jalen Hurts? How do we defend that uh, 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 that package? How do we defend that QB zone read? Let's let's make sure we get our T's crossed. And and defenses are going to spend way more time on it than they're actually going to see. So just for that aspect alone, and I think Jalen Hurts, I mean, I think in the running game, um, I think you could get some defense some problems. And if you consistently show run, 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 he, he, he could throw the ball too. Um, you know, you don't see that a lot with Taysom Hill, but Jalen Hurts is um, back of quarterback. I mean, um, I think you have a lot of spell out for the run. He can make some plays in the passing game too. And, and just to kind of, you know, just, just, just spark the team a little bit and just give them, you know, big play threats. And for that aspect, I think they should loop them in more and more into this offense. And maybe and maybe that gives them some momentum, and maybe that could propel them to the division lead. So, Kenny, bigger disappointment, the 1-5 Falcons or the 1-5 Vikings? Oh, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I think both obviously have been really disappointing. I think it's the Falcons. I mean, the player Dan Quinn, their GM, that early in the year, and the Vikings were in a little bit of a rebuild mode defensively, but, you know, the Falcons, I mean, I mean the Falcons, you know, they got Matt Ryan and Gurley and Ridley on the outside to kind of score, and, and you know, the defense obviously wasn't addressed in the offseason like it should have, so I still think with that, um, you know, the Falcons, should not have been 0-5 to start the year and to fire Dan Quinn that early with your GM. So in that aspect, I think they're going to be the bigger disappointment. But the Vikings have been disappointing too because I think they had divisional hopes. They had had playoff hopes. Um, It's been a, it's been a slow process with their young defensive backs. Um, the improvement has not been made week to week early on in the season. And, you know, teams are throwing the ball all over them. Receivers are making plays. And Kirk Cousins has been really Jekyll and Hyde, really on and off. And, you know, having several games where he's turned the ball over in lump sums with, with three interception games, too. But I think the Falcons just firing the coach so early in the year is, is the biggest disappointment of those two teams. Now I do have to ask you this: Is Kirk Cus- and, and I and I think this, Kirk Cousins to me is a cautionary tale for NFL organizations. You don't need to overpay for a quarterback. Like, the Vikings were perfectly fine when they had Case Keenum and they had a bunch of talent around him. Like I think people people always talk about the quarterback, this quarterback, that. If you have a team around you and you have somebody that is serviceable, right, and you have the right coaching around them, you can be very good in this league. You can be very good in this league. Do you think that the Vikings might have overplayed their hand uh, giving Kirk Cousins as much money as they did? Because this team and roster has kind of deteriorated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's deteriorated because they had to, you know, allocate three, uh, $33 million to the quarterback position. But, um, you know, if you have a – you know, if you're able to develop a young quarterback on a cost-effective deal, 
and build around him, that's a good avenue. Or even something like, even something in the short term with the culture going, just one year, $25 million with Bill Rivers, and they've kept a strong roster around him. I think that's, that's kind of the play here. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they've overdealt their hand on Kirk Cousins, and they're in the worst spot. They're in QB purgatory. And QB purgatory is when you have a, a, a quarterback that around 8-8, eight and eight, but when you have, you know, uh, like like average for Kirk Cousins, but you're paying him a huge amount of money because he's supposed to be elevating guys and he's not, and you don't have that ability to build the team around him because you've allocated so much money to, to the quarterback spot, and he's good enough where he's going to win games and you're not going to have a top pick to take a quarterback, but he's not good enough to where you're actually going to beat those teams in the playoffs. So that's QB purgatory, and I think – Falcons are in that a little bit right now. Uh, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings are in that. And I think the poster boy of that has been the Cincinnati Bengals with Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton from like 2010 to 2017. Um, but but the Vikings, I think it's safe to say that they're in QB purgatory with that to overplay their hand. Now, next where I want to go is this, Kenny. Because and I, and I really do want to kind of want to harp on this a little bit. And I actually do want to go back to this, right? So you have the Vikings. You have guys like Jefferson uh, and Adam Thielen. Do you think any part of the Vikings are like, we traded the wrong guy away? Stephon Diggs, to me right now, you can argue is a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Do you think that maybe Adam Thielen should have been the guy traded and not Diggs? Potentially, I mean, when, when, when they're both at their peak, like, they're really similar players. And, you know, Stephon Diggs is better than Thielen. But I think I think the Vikings thought that we could get somewhat similar production on the field with Thielen over Diggs. And there's a lot less off-field headache with keeping Thielen over Diggs. And so I think they kind of did that cost benefit a little bit by having, you know, you know, less of digs and some of the drama he brought and still have a solid receiver and then groom a first round pick like Jefferson with them too. Um, I think that was kind of the thinking there, but in terms of production on the field though, is I, I, I do think Diggs is a, is a better receiver than Thielen. Um, better playmaker down the field. Um, both are really good route runners. That, that's kind of where they got from being undrafted and being like a fifth-round pick with Diggs. Both really good route runners in hands, but Diggs a little bit more explosive down the field. Um, but I think he was the better receiver of the two. Okay, Kenny. So here's what we're going to do. You know, I really don't want to talk about a lot of the bad teams in the NFL, but I decided to find a way to give them some love. So just really quickly, I'm going to list all the teams that have either zero wins or one win. And I just want you to say, give a player uh, a a need that they can all look forward to for the draft. And maybe if you have a player in mind, you can name Uh, that too. Okay, Kenny? 
Because I think these are what these teams should be focusing on because their march towards the playoffs is dead at this point. So first I'm going to give you the Bengals. Bengals. I'm going to say um, Penny Sewell, offensive tackle of Oregon. I go back to how Joe Burrow got sacked, what, eight times against the uh, eight times against the Ravens? And, I mean, that's a really bad spot to put a franchise quarterback in. Their top need in the offseason should be offensive line. Penny Sewell would be the top one here. Now, Vikings. Vikings. I'm going to say here, I'm going to say Micah Parsons, linebacker of Penn State, who opted out. A lot like Devin White, sideline to sideline. I think if they have a pass rush, with Hunter and Ngakwe, that's a good start. I think having another blue chip prospect like Michael Parsons and Anthony Barr and Kendrick, I think they can win some games with their front seven and focus on running the ball with Dalvin Cook. I think that could be a focus for them. Michael Parsons. Giants. Giants. I'm gonna say here, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Justin Fields. Because I don't think they're going to have the number one pick, but I think it would really help the Giants. Maybe if they if they have one of those top picks to get it right this time at the quarterback position. So I'm going to say Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields and potentially, uh, well, they're not going to make a coaching change, but 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 in like a bootleg offense like Kyle Shanahan, got some playmakers with Barkley and Slayton, I think really getting the quarterback position right this time for the Giants should be the focus. Probably going to have a new GM. Joe Judge not married to Daniel Jones. I'm going to take Justin Fields here. Jets. Trevor Lawrence. I think the Jets. I think the Jets are in a jitto. They're a broken down car engine. That doesn't work. Engines busted. They need they need a full clean house. And in the NFL, Daryl, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Just suck it up for a few more weeks, and you're going to have the top QB prospects come out since Peyton Manning. I think they need to reset their franchise with Trevor Lawrence. They got the left tackle already in Mackay Becton, and I think those two pillars would be on their way to getting this thing back on track. But Trevor Lawrence, I think, for the Jets. Jaguars. Jags. So, hold on. I'm thinking, who's it? Okay, I'm going to say here Jamar Chase. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to have a chance to take Fields or Lawrence depending on how it plays out. But I think whoever plays the quarterback position and they need a long-term answer there, I think getting the top receiver in Jamar Chase would would be good for them. They'd have the top receiver. They'd have his teammate, DJ Chark, fellow LSU receiver outside of him. they got a black guy that could do it all in LaVisca Chenault. I think 
you put together that young receiver group with a quarterback of the future or upgrade there with a veteran, I think you could score some points. And, you know, maybe they try to win that way and get out of that ground and pound. Um, there'll be a team looking for a new head coach, too. I'm going to say Jamar Chase. Let's upgrade those skill positions and get some shootouts with the Titans and Texans. Texans. Well, Daryl, they don't have a first or second round pick this year. <laughs> I know they. Uh, Bill O'Brien got fired, uh, and along with him, he gave up a lot of other stuff too. <laughs> yeah. So how about we say? How about we say, coach? Because I think this is a little bit more appealing than. Uh, than like the Falcons, let's say, and the Jags, because you have a franchise quarterback. Um, let's give him a coach. So let's give him um, let's give him Eric the Enemy. And you have Watson, Brandon Cooks, and Will Fuller. Poor man, Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but let's get an offensive coach who does things right with Deshaun Watson. They got the franchise quarterback. That's a huge plus for them. And let's try to do that for a little bit until we could get some cap relief and get some draft picks back. So let's let's get off the prospect here for the moment with no first round pick and let's give them a coach. Cowboys. Cowboys. So let's look at the Cowboys and let's go to the defense. Let's go to the most premium position defensive end, and let's give them a pass rusher. Let's win that way. They already spent a first round or, or a high second round pick on surveying Diggs, the corner. Let's give them defensive end from Miami. Let's give them Gregory Roseau. Um, pass rusher, 6'6", 260, really athletic. Came on last year with double-digit sacks. He opted out. He's going to be probably, I would say right now, the top pass rusher um, so let's let's give the Cowboys a pass rusher here with Gregory Rizzo. And Redskins. Yeah. So, so here, you know, I think I think here let's 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 give them let's give them North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance because. They need a long-term answer at quarterback. Um, I think they have a veteran in Alex Smith to hold down the fort next year and be competitive. Um, and they took their QB of the future in Trey Lance. Because Trey Lance, talented running the ball, talented throwing the ball, only played one year, though, at FCS school. He's raw. He's going to need multiple years. Uh, we know there hasn't been a really good success rate of one-year starting quarterback taking the first round. He might need some time to sit. And I think having a veteran like Alex Smith would be in a really good spot. Um, but I think they got to get the quarterback position right. At some point, it's an elephant in the room. Let's give him Trey Lance. Kenny? I think we got all the teams out the way. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, just for the listeners, I mean, that 
that last exercise was really fun because it gave us some prospects to look at, some team needs. If you're listening, that 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 you that you have a team that's really bad, you want to start looking at some players, and we just did that. You know, we just did that cold turkey right, right off the bat, and that was fun. So, put some prospects to look at if you your team is one and five or zero and six right now. Thank you for having me again. And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim, scouting expert for 247 Sports, for coming on the podcast. Always appreciate that. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode, the 213th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.